The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we discuss the mysterious 12th man who came out of the stands to try and stuff Princeton in 1935. When your football program has been around for 154 years and shares the right with Rutgers of being the longest-run college football program in the history of college football, well, you have some weird and unusual stories. For perhaps none so weird as the mysterious 12th man that came out of the stands in a blizzard to try and stuff a goal line stand. This is the story of Princeton Dartmouth, November 23rd, 1935, and the mysterious 12th man. The Princeton Tigers' first season was in 1869. This program is at the seeds of the birth of college football as the first football game in college football history occurred in 1869 when Rutgers defeated Princeton 6-4 in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Throughout their illustrious history, this program has produced one Heisman winner, Dick Kazmaier, in 1951, and after that first season, they ran off 10 undefeated seasons in the next 11 years. Against Lafayette in 1884, they scored 140 points. You see the point. Their history is filled with epic players, coaches, games, and moments, but none so epic and glorious and mysterious in the chronicles of Princeton football could possibly match what occurred on November 23, 1935, and its aftermath. On November 23, 1935, undefeated Princeton 7-0 met undefeated Dartmouth 8-0 in front of over 56,000 fans at Princeton in a game that was played in near-blizzard conditions. It was cold and snowy, the mud mixed with the snow. And it was in this game that one of the weirdest moments in the history of college football occurred. Princeton was at Dartmouth's three-yard line, and a fan jumped out of the stands and lined up in Dartmouth's defense. Dartmouth stuffed the Tigers' run short of the goal line. Still, Princeton defeated Dartmouth 26-6 in a game that featured a once-in-a-lifetime play. Here is the lead-up. The year was 1935. The Princeton coach was Frank Chrysler, whose record at Princeton was 35-9-5. He coached from 1932 to 1937. In 1938, Frank Chrysler left Princeton to become the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines, where he instituted the iconic wing helmet of the Wolverines. And in his last eight seasons, they were ranked in the top 10 in the final AP poll. Coach Chrysler's 1947 team won the national championship. The coach of the Dartmouth team, you ask? Earl Red Blake, whose record at Dartmouth was 45-15-4 from 1934 to 1940. That year, in 1935, his Dartmouth team changed the course of Dartmouth's history when it defeated Yale 14-6. This ended the so-called Yale jinx, 
an 0-16-2 stretch against the Bulldogs that dated way back to 1884. In 1941, Coach Blake left Dartmouth for Army, where he compiled a 121-33-10 record and won three straight national titles from 1944 to 1946. In short, this game matched two legendary coaches. So, on November 23, 1935, undefeated Princeton, 7-0, met undefeated Dartmouth, 8-0, in front of over 56,000 fans at Princeton in a game that was played in near-blizzard conditions, cold, snowy, with field mixed with mud and snow. Now for the game itself. The game will be forever remembered, not for being played in a massive snowstorm, pitting two undefeated rivals against each other late in the season, but rather for a fan coming out of the stands on Princeton's third and goal at the three and joining Dartmouth's defensive line before the officials could stop the play. In the first quarter of the game, Dartmouth opened with a touchdown, but the conversion failed and they led six to nothing. These would be the last points Dartmouth would score that day. Princeton quickly scored to take a 7-6 lead. The Tigers dominated from that point on, and as the snow continued to fall, Princeton went up 19-6. By halftime, there was an inch of snow on the ground, and by the fourth quarter, the snowfall was so heavy that the yard lines on the field were covered. The referees had to scrape away the snow to place the ball or to secure the mark of the ball. It was in the fourth quarter that this play occurred. Princeton was up 19-6 and drove to Dartmouth's six-yard line. Princeton ran two running plays for a total of three yards. On third and goal from the three, here is what happened. Just before the ball was snapped on third down, a fan jumped out of the end zone stands, sprinted across the end zone, and joined the Dartmouth line between two linemen on the left side of the line. He was so quick, the snow so severe, Princeton had snapped the ball so quickly that the officials could not stop play or the fan. The ball was snapped, the man yelled, kill them Princeton bastards, and he lunged at the Princeton runner, Pepper Constable. He completely missed him and landed behind the line of scrimmage. Constable gained two yards, one yard short of the goal line. Dave Kammerer, Dortmund's left tackle that day, said, he stumbled into a line between Joe Hanrahan and me. He roared, kill them Princeton bastards, and with that, he lunged across the scrimmage line. The ball hadn't even been snapped and piled into the close-up man and fell out of his face. That whole Princeton line manhandled the poor slob unmercifully until the cops collared him and dragged him off, his toes dragging a trail in the snow. Well, as Cameron said, Princeton players grabbed the man immediately after the play before fourth down, and two policemen quickly rushed over, took the man, and the two cops escorted him past the goalpost and out of the end zone as the man on his way out pointed his finger into the air. Play resumed on fourth down. Princeton scored and in turn won the game 26-6. The aftermath. So, who was this 12th man? The police had dispensed of him so quickly that he vanished away in the confusion of the moment. The next day, the Sunday newspaper's Accounts of the game had elicited letters from readers. Everyone wanted to know who the man was. So a search ensued. On the following Tuesday, the New York Herald Tribune Stanley Woodward said in his column that although the hunt was continuing, it seemed that Dartmouth's volunteer was an orphan, this was his own words, without intercollegiate affiliations, mother, father, country, or home. Well, well, well. Three days later, a man came forward a short order cook from a diner at Rahway, New Jersey. 
His name was Michael Mesco. He said he despised the Princetons, the Sissies, and rooted for any team they played against. According to Mesco, the previous Saturday, he had been sitting in the end zone on the day of the game with his best friend, John Mulrooney. Mesco said, we were drinking some kind of rye, had maybe 15 or 20 shots. I took a little shot and said I'd be darned if Princeton was going to score again. My friend, John, wanted to know what I could do to hold them. I said, I guess I'll just have to give Dartmouth a little help. So I took another little shot, and that was it. Out I went. And that's about all I remember until the cops escorted me off the field. The next day, Mesco was confronted by a reporter who said that Gussie Lawson, now follow this, an architect from Cranford, New Jersey, had admitted jumping out of the stands and joining the Dartmouth defense the previous Saturday. He feared losing his job if it was known that he was the 12th man, but a friend of his had revealed the secret. Lawson said, Meskel's all wet. Anyone who was at Palmer Stadium that day knows the man who jumped onto the field wore a short coat with many autographs in large black letters on it. Now, I understand Mesco wears a long coat. I was in section 15, about midway up, got excited and ran onto the field because Dartmouth was taking it on the chin and I always feel sorry for the underdog. I'd like to forget it. The publicity will do me no good. Let Mesco have all the fame. Hearing the details of the claim, Mesco replied, well, if this Lawson guy wants to grab the story, okay with me. Mesco's implication was that he was the fan who jumped out of the end zone onto the field that day, but he was okay if someone else wanted to take the glory. In hindsight, Lawson's rendition seems logical. The coat the 12th man wore that day had autographs on it, and Mesco did not have on a coat like that. The reality, though, was that the snow was so thick that no one could say what was on the coat. And one last point, no player, coach, referee, or fan could remember seeing autographs in large black letters on the coat. Was it Michael Mesco, inebriated on shots of rye, or Gussie Lawson, who felt sorry for the underdog? We may never know who ran onto the field that day. So on that day, in front of over 56,000 fans in Palmer Stadium, on a snowy blizzard condition, Princeton moved to 8-0 with the 26-6 win over Dartmouth, who fell to 8-1. History will remember this as the 12th man game between Princeton and Dartmouth on November 23, 1935. The oddest moment in the long, epic Princeton Tiger football program. Dare I say, we will never see the likes of it again. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.